Okay guys, today we're going to do some plying. Um, I've got my two um, quills that I spun up using a great wheel. It wasn't this great wheel. It was one with a normal length uh, spindle, but the spindle was also like a 3 8 spindle or 5 16 spindle instead of this um, quarter inch. So that's a fat, sturdy spindle. And a really tiny, like a three-quarters um, inch, like uh, spindle pulley, uh, which gives, I think it's like, I, I don't even know how big that is. Um, it's close to 30 to 1. Um, and that's for making singles. That's pretty fast when you're dealing with wool, not um, cotton or something of that nature. But anyways, uh, what I wanted to show you is this is the last ball I got done. And this is what we're shooting for every time. When we do um, a spindle like this size, it doesn't look because of the length of it. Instead of it being short like a uh, bobbin on a, like a flyer wheel. Because these are so long and it moves it out. You don't look like you have a whole lot of wool on here. But these two um, will go together to make this amount, which is about um, 70 or 80 yards. Uh, we figured up that we needed like 70 or 75 yards to get a ball to make a hat, um, like I've showed you in the past. And what that looks like is you're only putting on this much wool on your spindles. Um, which don't look like a lot, and then when you combine them together and uh, you cake them off, this is what you're left with, like a uh, tennis ball size cake um, of a two-ply, like uh, fingering weight yarn. So we'll see how far we get today, but I'm definitely going to start plying these, and if we get through the whole plying process, then we'll cake it up and we'll let you see how it compares to this ball, but um, I do these all the time, so I know that this is what uh, the, the quills look like, and then this is what the ball looks like, and then three of these get us those nice full hats um, that are pretty thick, but um, also, you know, lofty and nice. So, we're going to go ahead and get started, and what we do here is you take the um, wool off of the quill that it's able to turn on freely and you go around that you weave them between the brake bars so that they create drag as you're pulling off and they keep your line straight so you don't have all the issues with rat tails and whatnot and so when we're using two, we use the outer two, so it holds the lines apart. But you go inside the bottom brake bar and outside the top brake bar, so they're being held as far apart as possible. And then once you get this here together, you'll add your um, S-twist, which is um, a counterclockwise twist. And then we will this way and we're off and running so the uh, ratio set up here 
is not great, and we've talked about this before, but I'm going to cover it again here because it's um, a good opportunity to explain why you want such a large spindle pulley when plying. Um, as we're forming this cob, we always want the spindle pulley to be larger than the cob itself because you're kind of holding stress back against the cob, which should create drag for the um, drive wheel and drive belt and stuff like that. But as long as this pulley is bigger in circumference than the cob that you're pulling against, that's got the greater power. And so what you're not having is you're not having slippage on your drive belt because you're not able to put a lot of force on it just pulling against the yarn. Now, if you get your cob so large that it's actually bigger than your spindle pulley, what happens is now you're exerting more force just holding onto this yarn than uh, the wheel can exert on that spindle pulley because that's the smaller circumference. And... Uh, you'll notice a lot more slippage and a lot less power pulling that yarn out of your hand when you go to wind on and stuff. So you always want a larger um, spindle pulley. And we're not going to get near that circumference this go around. Uh, we'll be pretty skinny because we're taking off of those and putting it onto 11 inches. That Those quills are only like 7 inches to begin with. So that'll thin out as it goes over 11 inches and uh, we won't have a lot of girth on our cop that we're making now, which is great. But anyways, the larger spindle pulley, if you're keeping the same drive wheel size, most of you probably know means a low um, ratio. So low speed rotation for the uh, spindle, which, um, you know, the faster rotation you have on the spinner spindle, the uh, faster you can get through your projects and stuff. So normally you'd want faster within reason, but um, here the uh, cost analysis is that um, speed is not as important as having good um, tension coming off of that drive belt. And we do, you know, still keep that drive belt. Um, slack, which doesn't matter because as long as our cob is smaller than the spindle pulley, it still doesn't slip. It's very odd, but it's geometry. Alright, I'm going to try to pick up the pace a little here because I'd like to get through a majority of this. And uh, it always seems like it's taking longer than I think when I really try to... Uh, get through a bunch of it so I might quiet down a little bit and uh, get to work one more <laughs> I just said I was gonna quiet down but uh, one more thing that is good to note too is uh, how I drive this drive wheel. So I'm hand cranking it, uh, which sounds like it would be a lot of work, but it's actually not because what you want to do is you want to shift into high gear. And the way low gear and high gear works on a uh, wheel like this is 
you go out here, it's really easy to move. In here, it's a little harder to get it going, like right in there next to the axle, right? But you come out here, and it's very easy to push it out there because you have all this leverage against the fulcrum. So here's greater leverage against the fulcrum, but I have to cross a bigger distance to go around. In here is less distance to go around, but less leverage against that fulcrum. Now, what's great about how you drive this is you start out here, and even in your first rotation, you, you just you slide in to the center, and then you're just moving your hand a little bit. It does not take much effort to keep it going, as in all high gear, because the trade-off in high gear is that you get a lot of speed, but you don't have a lot of power. Of course, you don't need a lot of power once you've got momentum. So out here, you give the force, because it doesn't take any force hardly out here to move it. And then almost as soon as it starts, like it's just a corner turn, a quarter turn before you slide down and slide inside, and then you're spinning with ease and, uh, oh, spinning with ease and you got good motion on it. So it's very easy to move this and to keep it moving, and it's also very easy to stop on a dime. Okay, we're gonna have to separate this. It's very easy to stop on a dime, kick this direction and that direction because this wheel is so light now. I, before I made a great wheel, I really thought, why couldn't you just give that wheel a spin and then draft with both hands? Because every time you see somebody spinning on a great wheel, they're actually spinning um, one-handed. You know, they're doing a, a long draw, unsupported long draw. And I was like, well, why would you have to do that? Why couldn't you give it a spin and then draft with your two hands? Well, the reason is because, like, you really want this to be light so that you can have, like, an agile input with it where um, you can stop and then go, stop and then go. And uh, that's capable or that's possible when it's as light as this. But when it's as light as this, it also doesn't have, like, the inertia to keep itself um, rotating around what like shortly after you let off of it so that's just a little tidbit there that we don't discuss very often but it is important to understanding how these hand crank wheels work they don't really have the rim weight and the um, weight in general to keep their momentum going but that is good because you want to have like this quick start and stop um, ability when you're doing stuff by hand because the trade-off is worth it because of the precision. And the IMO, um, long draw is better anyways. I think most people who can teach themselves to long draw and use it just always prefer to do it on unsupported long draw because it's like... Um, it's like magic to just like pull your hand back from the fiber you're using and let it thin out and um, spin itself. You really feel like a wizard. And of course, last week or the week before, 
we did talk about how we want to load the back of the quill that's like closer to the upper receiver first so that um, you got more of the weight closer to where all the support is for the actual spindle itself instead of out here on the tip where it'll be pulling down against the rotation. Now, if this was one of my treadle wheels, because I do have a treadle wheel that I put a plying spindle onto so that I can load up large quantities on it. If this was one of my treadle wheels, I would um, be able to keep going without using both. Well, I would be using both hands, but without stop, because I could use both hands to separate these lines um, without having to stop moving the drive wheel. So that is handy sometimes on the treadle wheel. Of course, it's still a spindle wheel. It's just a spindle wheel that you move with your foot. I don't know if I meant, I think I did mention, but both of these plies were actually spun on a great wheel as well. So this entire ball of yarn is going to be great wheel specific. So they were, the singles were spun using unsupported long draw, and then they're being plied together using, you know, the lazy kate and applying spindle. And then when we wind off with our uh, ball winder, We'll have a whole, like, 75-yard ball, or cake, um, of a yarn that was produced on a great wheel. It is getting warmer out, but make no mistake, I am not in a t-shirt because it is comfortable out here. It is still cold, but the t-shirt messes with the microphone less than a button-up shirt or a jacket or anything. The sweatshirts do fine with it, but uh, I've been sweatshirt heavy for several of these episodes lately, so I wanted to give a little change in wardrobe if, if possible today. And that meant being in the cold with a t-shirt. At least we're representing Ireland. Spinning Jacob wool and uh, wearing the colors. I always apologize for running short. I think this week I'll have to uh, ask if you don't mind me running long because uh, if we're going to get through this whole lazy cave of fiber, it will take 
more than the 15 or 20 minutes that I try to shoot for each week. So let's get into it and uh, try to get it cranked out. It is starting to green up, you can see there, um, which is nice because my animals are eating a lot better. But uh, I'm going to have to start mowing soon. During the winter, I get to devote all that time and energy to uh, podcast filming. But during the summer, I've got a lot, an hour or two each week to mow the lawn as well. So... That'll be happening soon. It does appear that uh, one quill was loaded more than the other. So this one's running out. That one's still got some. What we'll end up doing is uh, doing a... Uh, an Andean bracelet so that we can because we'll run out of one and then we'll take the other one and wind it off in an Andean bracelet on this hand so that we can take the end blend it in to the shorts uh, ply and then we will ply out the rest of it on the one single doubled over and that way we'll use every bit of uh, yarn that we put on those singles um, but it'll come out even on the two-ply because that's the point of the Andean bracelet. This is a... Uh, oh, I didn't even talk about the preparation but I actually... Because I'm going to hand cart these usually um, so that I can spin long draw, I don't mess with picking, but I did go ahead and sit down with the family last night in the living room, and I sat and picked cuckleburrs out of uh, locks of wool and then put them through the picker um, to really open them up in, uh, in big heaps so that I could uh, then card through it and a spin and so when we get to some of this wool that's darker you might have noticed this week that this wool is darker than some that I normally um, spin that ends up okay so we just I don't want to jump off topic um, usually there's like speckles of gray in the stuff I do but um, this week it's pretty dark um, we did just get to the end of our one ply so we will go ahead and uh, Add the twist to the last little bit where we had two plies. And then we're going to go ahead. Right here is the end of that one ply. We're going to make the Andean bracelet out of this other one. So what that means is that we put it around that finger going both directions. So it hooks around the middle finger and then goes around the back hooks around the middle finger, goes around the back, hooks around the middle finger, and that's all you do. 
Anyways, um, the, the catch with this dark wool is the reason it's dark is because it doesn't see sunlight because it's underneath them a lot of the time. And it might be soft wool, and it might be nice wool, but it is the wool that they lay on a bunch. So that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be um, felted, but like that's essentially um, to make sure that I didn't have to do with any um, like rough wool. That's why I put it through the picker. And uh, that really opened it up nice so that by the time I was, uh, so you guys see what's happening there. So by the time I was um, carding it, it carded super easy. So much so that I'm really tempted to put the stuff through the picker more often. I don't like doing that because I like just picking up a lock and like just moments before I'm going to spin it onto the quill, it's still in the form that it came off the sheep. Like it's been washed, but it's still in that lock form. Like I'm picking it up in big hunks of fleece. And uh, it's really nice to just take that lock, throw it on the cards, card it, and then be able to go ahead and uh, spin it on the uh, quill just like right out of that lock formation. On my treadle wheel, if I don't want to do the um, long draw, which I always want to do the long draw, um, I can actually just pick it up in lock formation and draft out of the lock. And that's a lot of fun, and I do not have a problem doing that on the dodec uh, because spindle wheels are really accessible in that way. But um, I just I like the long draw so much now that it's almost wasted spinning time to do a two-handed draft on fiber just so you don't have to card it. Alright, so I've probably talked about this before, but I overlap the two about an inch or two inches. I add the Z-twist in it that it would normally have from the wheel. I hold it against our second ply and I add the S-twist and that will lock that permanently where I can't even find it later when I come back to it. Then we want to back off of here enough that um, everything is now doubled up. And we got it. Now we're two-ply to the very end, and it will be, when we get back here to the end, what we'll have is like the exact middle of what was left on that longer ply. And then we will put it on our ball winder. So what you'll find in um, all of my balls that I wind in this manner is that um, what you'll end up with is the, the end that I start on the ball winder will be a loop. It, like it'll be a closed loop that was the halfway point. And uh, it'll all be one single, you know, two-ply all the way to this other end that's on the outside of the ball. And what happens at the other end that's outside of the ball is where I started with those two plies, held them together, and added the twist. So this whole thing is like one continuous single-ply bent in half and then um, with the twist added uh, where there's only two ends at this um, far end of the yarn. So as I'm knitting from the inside out, there's a loop there 
that you can even put on your um, needle and you don't have to uh, start with a uh, knot. You can just slide that loop on the needle and then um, start your cast on. But uh, on the other end, it actually is open-ended where there's like two, the ends of two plies. Alright, I don't think I did a great job of explaining that, but it's not that important either. It's just uh, in a lot of my hats, you will only end up with, like, I'll start it with a closed loop end. Um, so, like, I'll start with three balls of yarn, so you'll have three two-ply yarns that don't actually have like six individual ends they'll only have like three looped ends and then I'll knit all the way up through the hat and then when I bind off and I cut it there will be six individual ply ends there because you're using three um, two-ply yarns but um, you know that's at the end anyways where you're knotting and then uh, weaving in the ends and stuff but at the beginning, there's a seamless um, beginning where there isn't the individual ends, um, which is pretty neat. So where you've made that join is that place where I showed you one ran out, and you take the far end of the other one that hasn't ran out, and you blend it in in a way that it's not um, a knot, and it's not like it is twisted and plied in a way that it actually becomes the exact same as all the rest of the yarn. It's not just overlapping like you would think. It's actually adding that twist by hand does bind it the same as the rest of the ply, or the same as the rest of the single, and then plying it locks it in for good. So you don't even have to worry about it becoming untwisted at that point. Alright, so we're getting to the very end of the Andean bracelet as well. So at this point, what I'm saying is this is what's at the end of each one of these is like a continuous loop. It doesn't come apart. And so we're going to add this last little bit of twist. And this part of the twist will hold because um, essentially the twist that's in the singles want to turn back on themselves in this S-twist anyways. So, like, that end will stay twisted even though, um, you know, those weren't independent. I don't know if I'm explaining that well either. That's going to be my new catchphrase is, I don't know if I'm explaining that well. All right, so now we have our two-ply on the plying quill. What we'll do is take off one of these... Um, quills that we had the singles on and we will put our plied quill on here we will do the same thing we did with the singles which is run them inside the lower outside the upper on the far side of this you're probably not going to see this but anyways this will sit on the ground like this and it'll pull through those brake bands and give us the right amount of tension on this ball winder Then I'm going to actually hold the ball winder this way 
and then we should be off and running. And of course, as you get to the bottom of your quill, it starts getting greater resistance, which is fine with these ball winding because it just winds the uh, cake tighter on the out on the outer um, surface than it is in the gooey center, which is good. But um, the reason that there's more drag on it is because now the quill has to rotate a lot faster um, to take the same amount of yarn off. Because when you started, your cob was large, and uh, if you needed three inches off, but that was only one rotation, uh, where when you get down here, to take three inches off is three rotations. Essentially, the difference between how fast it was going at the start and how fast it's going by the end, like, multiplies by how skinny the cob gets. And the cob gets small as you go. So the uh, drag gets greater. All right, so I always take mine and I wrap uh, the outside around and then I'll, you know, of course, tuck it under a chorus or whatever. But then when I pull it off, I've got to kind of squash it in and full it in a way that it'll relax and fill out. But uh, yeah, you saw how thin these quills were with fiber it didn't look like I had a lot on them but um, I did and then we plied them onto this pine spindle and uh, once we caked off what we get is this tennis sized ball and if I only did one more of these I'd have more than enough for a big thick um, hat knit on size 15 needles and uh, yeah I really like it I Hope you guys enjoyed that beginning to end. What I'm going to do now at the end here is uh, I'm going to go ahead and put my quill back on the plying spindle. And then I'm going to put my singles uh, quill back on the Lazy Kate. And I'm going to fold up my wheel because um, I already had it open when... We started this week, but I do like to take the chance usually to show how this breaks down because uh, I think a lot of people who would be interested in building their own wheel also feel like they're kind of limited in their uh, resources, even if that be space in their dorm or at their house. And so I like people to know that you can have a big, capable machine like this that you've made without much effort, but also um, you can tuck it away really easy um, when it's not in use so that it's not taking up real estate in your living room or in your workspace. I do actually have one of these at work so that I can spin on brakes. All right, so I take off these two washers in this uh, wing nut 
then when I loosen this wing nut, these, these uh, frame arms will scissor together for storage. And then I tighten that back down, stick the axle through the frame, put both of the washers back on, and when I tighten this wing nut down, everything's locked together. And what's neat about it is that you still have this spoke sits out, you know, a spoke's distance away from the frame, so it makes a perfect handle for carrying it. And that's it. It leans against the wall um, right up close to it, and uh, it'll stand there without even being out far enough um, to angle. So that's great, and uh, yeah, that's the great wheel.